Welcome to Heroes of Brand Protection Podcast, Episode 34. I am your host, Daniel Shapiro, Senior Vice President of Strategic Partnerships at Redpoints, the world's fastest growing digital revenue recovery platform with a mission to make the internet safer for both brands and consumers. Today, we are thrilled to be speaking with Nigar Kiramova, a trademark attorney at Essity. She is responsible for making decisions on growing and maintaining and protecting the IP portfolio of trademarks, design, and domain names. Before working as an in-house counsel, Nigar worked for several IP law firms dealing with IP portfolios of well-known brands. She also has experience working at the Copyright Office in Azerbaijan. Nigar holds an LLM degree in IP and competition law from Max Planck Institute. Are you ready to listen to this hero of brand protection? We're thrilled to have you join us today. Thank you so much for uh, sharing your time with us. Thank you very much for the invitation. I'm very excited to be here. Well, before we get started, Nigar, I want to ask one question, which is, if you could be an animal, which one would you be and why? Tricky question, but I was asked it once, so I had time to think about it. I would like to be a dolphin because I think they are kind and intelligent. And very fast. <laughs> yeah, fast. <laughs> awesome. That's great. As we sort of think about your career and the different kinds of work you've done and the different work experiences you have, is there a particular sort of, I, I always say the funniest thing that happened you know, in work or, or an interesting thing that's happened in your work experience, in your current job or your previous job, but when you're sitting around having a glass of wine or talking to your friends, you tend to retell that story. Is there one of those? To tell a story right now, there is nothing on the top of my mind. Maybe there is something that is not defining us, but, but definitely was fun to tell to people that uh, at a certain point of my life, I used to work in a law firm here in Germany together with my sister and my husband. And all three of us come from different countries and with different backgrounds. So maybe it's not funny, but it was really fun for me to work together with them and have coffee breaks <laughs> and some common things to share in the lunch breaks. Awesome. When you think about what did you want to be when you grow up, what was that? Or maybe as you think about it in your current life, what do you want to be when you grow up? What comes to mind there? I think here can come a funny story, actually. <laughs> While growing up, at the last year of my high school, I was on the crossroad. Either to be a musician, I always wanted to be uh, either a singer or a dancer or a lawyer. So the passion for art was, was coming from the school because I started in the gymnasium of arts and I was doing music. And the law thing was coming from my father because he is a lawyer. And I had my birthday party where I decided to imitate uh, one famous locally artist at that time in Baku. So I jumped from a piano that we had at home and wanted to do a little dance trick. When I broke my leg at my, on my birthday, and then I decided, okay, maybe I'm not such a good a dancer and I'll go. <laughs> <laughs> so I wanted to be a dancer and a singer, but law was also a second choice. <laughs> good so choice. the defining moment was the dance move that broke your leg. Yes. Have you ever done that dance move again? In all these years? No, I never tried. I continue dancing, but not that move. <laughs> Got it. And sort of following up on that, so how, how did you get here as you talk about your career and you decided to be a lawyer? Tell us about your journey. Where did you study? What was your first job? How did you get to Essity? Right. Well, it starts back in time in Baku. I come originally from Baku, Azerbaijan. 
So that's what I where I studied. As I mentioned already, it was gymnasium of arts. So I studied music and art. Then it was a law school, and I graduated from Baku uh, Law University, Baku State University, law degree. And at that time, my passion uh, in law was for human rights, specifically women rights and refugee rights. So it's totally different field, and that's what I continued to to study in um, Budapest. Uh, there is a Central European University in cooperation with a New York, it was a Columbia University, sorry. So that's where I did my first master's degree. I worked for some years as a human rights lawyer back in Baku. But given that you cannot change much, I was very passionate about it, but I noticed that I don't have a big impact uh, on what I wanted to change. You can only work in small NGOs here and here and there. I had a chance at that time to work in a European Union project on the copyright law uh, development in Azerbaijan. When I joined that project, I realized and found the new passion in uh, IP law. Uh, At that time, it was copyright law. Decided to continue uh, to deepen my uh, knowledge. Came here to Munich, to here Munich, and did my second master's degree in Max Planck Center for Intellectual Property and Competition Law. Graduated, didn't have a plan to stay, stayed, changed three jobs here. Uh, started first as a, uh, from the side of the service providers, renewals, then law firm, as I mentioned, for five years. But already at that time, I knew that I want to go in-house. And it's been now two years I'm here at SCT as an in-house lawyer. Oh, wonderful. For those who may not know about SCT, maybe give a quick understanding of what the company is, where you're based, how many countries you're in, etc. What's the scope of ST? With a great pleasure. So ST is a company dealing with hygiene and health. So the products we produce are related to health, medicine, hygiene, and these type of sectors. We like to say that ST is a barrier breaker for well-being. So it's basically giving access to essentials for everyone. And one of the essentials that everyone needs is a hygiene. Actually, the name comes from that. It means aesthetic is a essential necessity. So bringing together these two words, it was uh, rebranded, uh, I think, several years ago, maybe four or five years ago. And uh, we are present with the sales in more than 150 countries. There are offices in more than 50 countries, if I'm not wrong, 52 countries, more than 400,000 employees around the world. And um, big brands, uh, we are definitely leaders in the hygiene product production. It's uh, brands in the field of um, consumer tissue, as I said, health, medicine, women care, and so on. And if you were to sort of boil that down, Nigar, to one sentence, how would you describe ST in one sentence? It's a sentence that we use as a hashtag now internally uh, in our communication, and I totally relate to that. We say, dare to care. And I really mean that I refer to that not only because aesthetic cares for customers, uh, consumers, because we try to produce uh, solutions and products that are there to care for the uh, for our consumers, but also because as an employer, it really cares for employees. And I had I, I faced it myself when I had health issues and I just joined the company. There was a lot of support from from the company. It's, I changed seven jobs, and it's very different experience here. Well, that's wonderful. It's good that you're in a good company and one in which looks after both the consumers and the employees is critical for sure. Yeah. When you think of some of the difficult tasks you have on a daily basis as a trademark attorney, what are some of the challenges you face? Mm, 
as a trademark attorney, I think challenge is a good word. It's not like a difficulty, but the challenge comes uh, from the communication with the creative people because we are there to support creative people and to protect IP rights. And intellectual property as such, once you know the content, it's it's interesting, but maybe the, the biggest challenge comes from explaining to those who create when they have rights and when we can protect them, where the registration is possible or not, because obviously... As a result of creativity, they think that everything is out there discre- uh, distinctive enough to be protected and should be exclusive, but there are some specific criteria. So it's like raising a- a- awareness in intellectual property in them, but also to be open-minded and to try to understand the business and the needs of business to be able to support it in a good way. So this interaction between business and law that's something challenging and also like new to me because when you work in a classic law firm, you just know the rules, you started that and you just provide your legal advice to the to the clients. Here you need to also understand how business works and to explain what you can do to be helpful. I saw recently that SAT publicly announced that they were exiting the Russian market the past summer. From an IP standpoint, has that been a challenge? have for you or what kinds of challenges does that create for you? That's right. That's a public announcement and uh, we will see how everything will develop. But right now, I think for us, the biggest challenge or must do uh, for this market is to watch out. We still care for our IP portfolio. So we are watching if there is any counterfeiting copycats or anyone trying to register something similar to our brands, because I obviously work with brands and designs. And then we decide ad hoc, case-by-case scenario whether we would act or not. Makes sense. And in what way do you believe that sort of technology is having an impact on your on the world of IP? Oh, technology. So this is a very hot potato <laughs> nowadays uh, with the metaverse and uh, artificial intelligence. This is something that all the trademark attorneys are discussing in the latest webinars and the conferences. So I think the biggest challenge is coming with metaverse, whether we need additional registrations for our brands or not for virtual goods. There are lots of discussions whether a specific class, class nine covers those goods or not. Does it uh, have to be phrased in a specific way? Uh, in, in the EU, it seems to be allowed. In China, no, because it is not within the limits of the standard classification. So that's something that is uh, in the world of trademark highly dis- uh, like discussed a lot nowadays. And another one with artificial intelligence and chat GPT becoming more and more popular, whether things created by artificial intelligence uh, should be copyright protected. And if so, who is the copyright owner? Is it a robot? Is it the person who gave the instructions? So we have, I think, a lot of questions right now, open questions and are expecting them to be answered wh- uh, when cases reach uh, the courts to have some kind of uh, established case law. Yeah. And and I think you know today, probably to your point about Chat GBT, we'll see how that sort of challenges trademark attorneys and and brands. I think it's certainly going to be critical. I think we'll see people probably using it to list products. I mean, we don't know exactly know how it will evolve, but it will evolve in in different sorts of facets. So I imagine the challenges will continue there. Oh yeah, because nowadays there are already like new chapters to classic books written by the by the artificial intelligence, the continuation of Beethoven's uh, uh, symphony or whatever. And obviously we are expecting from the European Commission to establish some kind of ground rule. So there will be some limits that could not be 
crossed, at least within Europe. That's some some kind of expectations right now. But still, there will be like marketeers can use artificial intelligence to create new logos. So it's a lot of things that can be done. And how is it going to be regulated? That's a question. Yeah, certainly tricky. Essity is renowned for its, uh, as you mentioned, for its hygiene and health uh, across the world. From an IP standpoint, what challenges you encounter most? And I guess I was thinking anything specific in the, you know, FMCG, fast moving consumer goods, or as they say in the US, you know, CPG, consumer packaged goods. Right. Is there anything specific challenges there or what do you see mostly from the value proposition of your company's brand there? Yeah, actually, I would say it's exactly what you mentioned, the packaging, the uh, fast changing packaging in the, in the goods, because it's something that is easily copied by the private labels, by the retail shops. So yes, we do have IP portfolio that is protected and we watch out both online and offline, but they can always circumvent those by not using the exact name. However, having a packaging that is looking alike, very much similar colors, similar font, so consumers, uh, because it's one t- that type of the product that when you enter to a market, you, you buy, you take it from the shelf in a rush. It's n- not like a, a, an expensive car that you would think uh, and check all the details of it. So you might have association with a famous brand, think it is that and just yes. grab it. But obviously quality is not the same and it's a big, it can be a, a damage for our reputation it, it, if it ends up to be a a confusion in the mind of the consumer. So this is something that is a big challenge for us. We have to always keep our eyes open and we cannot, like, we, there is not always IP tools that we can rely on. And in many cases, we have to rely on uh, unfair competition rules and they are very different in every country, differently from trademark law that is harmonized in Europe. So that's a challenge because we have to find legal basis for our actions. Yes, and and I think it's true that uh, from a consumer experience perspective, sometimes you see the colorations, you know, famous for your brand, and of course they don't spell your brand the right way, but they're using everything to to your point, and quickly you buy it thinking it's the authentic brand. Those things happen for sure. Exactly, uh, makes a lot of sense. When you think about the myths associated with IP lawyers like yourself, is there something you want to debunk that? Sometimes we put IP lawyers in one basket and we say, you guys are all the same. What, what is the myth you want to uh, debunk there? It will be probably hard for me to say about IP lawyers specifically, but about lawyers, what I really want to debunk, we are not boring and we are not always in suits. <laughs> we like well, partying and traveling and art and literature. <laughs> and it's not always like it is in the TV show suits that they expect that we are only talking about the cases. Exactly. You're not all Harvey Specter. Exactly. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> in one sentence. <laughs> Very good. And we did a podcast just recently with Ben Bozaki, who is the senior IP counsel for Mars, the candy company. And he wanted to ask you a question, which was, what is the achievement you're most proud of so far in your life as you've been uh, in your career? What is that one thing that you really take a lot of pride in? It's not related to to my career as a, a trademark attorney, but I'm really proud of being one of the first um, Girl Scout leaders in Azerbaijan when the organization wow. did not exist. And we uh, established it and um, we started this movement and there were five girls that were uh, leaders. And I would like to believe that there is a small group of kids 
that is the next generation in our country that I played role in their education to be more open-minded, environmental lovers. We did a lot of camps abroad with them, which I believe made them more tolerant to different cultures. On one specific project that was the last project before I left the country, I'm very proud of, we had, we established scout centers in the rural areas of Azerbaijan, where we empowered girls as scout leaders so they could continue and uh, grow the next generations. And I think this is something that I'm really happy I was part of it. That's spectacular, Nikar. That is something to be proud of. May I ask you if you know, does the Girl Scouts still is it still a, a vibrant group in Azerbaijan? Has it gone away? Is it grown? Is it, you know, 10 times bigger since you've left? It is still a big movement. We, uh, I keep in touch with uh, many of the guys that uh, were part of our scout group. We are friends actually now. And every time I go back home, and that happens at least two, three times a year, I try to hear from, the, from those who are still active. I even joined one of the hikes that they were doing in uh, at the time when I was there. So hopefully it will continue the same way. Awesome. So in closing, uh, I, I was thinking of, and now particularly based on your Girl Scout experience, but what advice would you give young people who are trying to pursue a career similar to yours? I'm thinking that maybe they have this dream of being a lawyer one day. What advice do you give that young person who might be still in high school or, you know, thinking about they're just starting college and they don't know what exactly they want to do. What would be your advice to them? I think in my life, the most important thing was not to be afraid uh, of a change and to experiment. Like be that a change of a country, try uh, different paths in career. As I said, I, it was human rights for some time. I did a little bit of forest law. It can also be like different sectors because I tried a little bit to work in a public sector, figured out I don't like it. Then law firm and found out that in-house, that's something that makes me happy. I have an example of my husband who changed four countries before he figured out where he wants to be. But And also from the specialist point of view, I think because it's such a small community of uh, or a network of people, at, at least uh, in Europe and the US working in this field, the more things we try and change countries and places to work, the, the, the bigger the network, network is. And right now, it's like mostly my friends that I'm communicating with when I have to contact uh, some, some offices or colleagues in other companies. So not to be afraid to change places, be that work, location, or whatever. And at some point, you will be there where you want to be. Yeah, I think it's really good advice. I think sometimes young people have to figure out, they think they need to know what they want to do for the rest of their lives. And sometimes, to your point, you've got to experiment a couple of times and try some different opportunities before you know what you want to do. Exactly. Really good advice. Is there anyone who who inspired you in your career? You know, if so, who, who was that person? I think it's very difficult to name one person. Maybe in different uh, chapters of my life, there were different people like for example, in, in, the pro, in that project for copyright law, uh, legislation development in Azerbaijan, I named, there was a, a professor from Athens University that is a professor, but she also works in the private sector and is a, a very humble lady. For me, that was an inspiration that this is maybe somewhere I want to go. But it's like different times of my life, different people. I probably more had people that supported me to do what I want, even if, if what I mentioned is a crazy idea. And that's usually my family, my parents, my sister, and my husband. One of the things we wanted to ask you, like we had Vance ask you a question, 
What would you like to know from our next guest on our podcast? So what I want to know from him is probably if he had a chance to have a, a superpower, one superpower, which one would he choose? Awesome. Thank you very much. We'll make sure we get that answer and it'll be on our next podcast. So listen to it, please. Yes, I would. So listen, Nagar, we're toward the end and we're going to ask you four questions in 15 seconds. See how it goes. Ready? I think this is the hardest part. <laughs> All right. Here we go. Here we go. Favorite music, band, or singer? Maneskin and Ed Sheeran. I'm Gemini. I have to mention several. <laughs> you got to have to. Okay. That's good. Favorite book? Love in the Time of Cholera, uh, Gabriel Garcia Marquez. Awesome. And if you could only eat one food for the rest of your life, what would it be? That one is easy. Watermelon with white cheese. <laughs> Very good. And your go-to resource to keep up on all things related to brand protection, IP, what do you, where do you go? On the top of my mind, country index, but there are many. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for your time, Nigar. It was great to get a chance to meet you and learn about you, and I'm sure everybody will find you fascinating. The same here. Thank you very much for the invitation. I really enjoyed the conversation. Nigar, it was very interesting to learn about your journey and your insights on intellectual property enforcement. I'd like to highlight a couple of key takeaways from our conversation today. Number one, how best to work in the metaverse and AI, meaning there are loads of discussions around the right niece class. In addition, with AI becoming more relevant, there are open questions as to who is the rightful owner of copyright with digital art. Number two, with the ever-changing packaging within the fast-moving consumer goods industry, is something that SED pays very close attention to both on online and offline. Fake packaging happens quite often in this space, and end consumers are not always aware of the changes. Brands like Essity are actively combating this through several online and offline strategies. Well, that's it for us today, and you can follow us on all of our platforms, Spotify, SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Apple Music, as well as X and LinkedIn. LinkedIn.